Pastor. Thank you for having us come. Well, it's a great time to be a Bible-believing Christian as we have more and more science that confirms what Scripture has to say. Because after all, the author of the Word is the author of the world. He's one and the same, and he does not contradict himself. So Pastor asked me to talk on this topic uh, for the service. How many races are there? And so I, to illustrate this, I chose a bunch of different paintings from different artists to show different members of different people groups. So here is the outline of the talk, and we'll talk about each of these uh, in turn. We're going to start out with this business of race and consequences. So the question is, what constitutes a, a race? <clears throat> Prior to the 1800s, the word race referred to nationalities rather than people groups. So it would be the Irish race, the English race, the German race, the French race, the Swedish race, Italian race, and so on. But Darwin's book changed the use of the word race. As you can see on the next slide, it was intended to give a falsely or pseudo-scientifically responsible, a respectable veneer to racism. So this is a picture of the cover of the first edition of The Origin of Species, published in 1859. And here is uh, the actual title page. And some of that print is too small to read, so here it is in larger font. The full title is On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or The Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. That's the full title which he put on the book. And you'll notice that when um, evolutionists refer to his book, which they do very often, all they ever mention is on the origin of species. The rest of this they conveniently neglect to mention. So there is quite a bit of racism involved here in uh, evolutionary thinking and what was published. So the term race degenerated into categorizing people by physical characteristics and then making sweeping generalizations about them. So this was very different than the original way the word was used. So then that brings up the question, well, who determined what constitutes a race? Well, people who consider themselves more superior to others would make these generalizations and these categorizations and then make their sweeping statements about other people. Kind of like what we see going on today with certain people considering themselves to be better or more superior than the rest of us and deciding they're going to dictate to us how we're going to live. Same thought process. So this term has become meaningless and has no place in a Christian's vocabulary. So as I mentioned, the people groups, and then down here in yellow, different, quote, races evolved at different rates, according to evolutionists, so that some, quote, races were more advanced, had evolved more fully than other so-called races. And then Jay Gould here uh, was a professor at Harvard, and uh, evolutionist, committed evolutionist, and here's what he had to say about this topic. Biological arguments for racism may have been common before 1850, but they increased by orders of magnitude, in other words, phenomenally, following the acceptance of 
evolutionary theory. So evolutionary theory was used to make racism respectable, acceptable. So here's a quote uh, from Darwin himself. He who has seen a savage in his native land will not feel much shame if forced to acknowledge that the blood of some more humble creature flows in his veins. For my own part, I would as soon be descended from that heroic little monkey who braved his dreaded enemy in order to save the life of his keeper, or from that old baboon who, descending from the mountains, carried away in triumph his young comrade from a crowd of astonished dogs, as from a savage who delights to torture his enemies, offers up bloody sacrifices, practices infanticide, you know, killing babies, without remorse, treats his wives like slaves, knows no decency, and is haunted by the grossest superstitions. So what he's saying is he'd rather be identified with the monkey than with these people. Now, if instituting comparisons, this is a quote by Ernst Haeckel. Haeckel was the disciple of Darwin. Uh, Haeckel was a German who uh, graduated from uh, medical school in uh, 1856, practiced medicine for three years, and then in 1860, he read the German translation of Darwin's book on the origin of species and decided to commit his life to uh, preaching, is the appropriate word, evolution. So he quit his uh, practice of medicine and then went back to the university, got his PhD degree in uh, marine invertebrates, those uh, spineless critters that live in the ocean instead of the ones in Washington, D.C. And uh, then taught evolution avidly. So this is this fellow's quote. Now, if instituting comparisons in both directions, we place the lowest and most ape-like men, the Austral or Southern Negroes, Bushmen and Andamans. Andamans are islands off the Indian, uh, East Indian coast uh, with very dark-skinned people. On the one hand, together with the most highly developed animals, for instance, with apes, dogs, and the elephants. And on the other hand, with the most highly developed men, Aristotle, Newton, Spinoza, Kant, Lamarck, or Goethe, then can no longer consider the assertion that the mental life of the higher mammals has gradually developed up to that of man as in any way exaggerated. So what he's doing here, he's, he's placing this group of elements, uh, animals that we consider more developed on one side, uh, along with the people who have dark skin. And then on the other side, he's putting these European philosophers or poets or scientists and, and saying that the business of the development of man mentally uh, from these animals, grouping the darker skinned people with them, and then on the other end of the spectrum, the European philosophers, scientists, uh, poets and stuff, that it's okay, it's not an exaggeration to group these dark-skinned people with these higher animals. That's what he's saying here. So there is how he's grouped these dark-skinned people with these animals on one side. And then with the last part of the quote, 
the European scholars on the other side. So that's the way he's thinking. So this is extremely racist. Well, what I'm going to show you next should blow your mind. You won't see this being taught today, but years ago, this is what evolutionists were teaching. So here we have orangutan, and they were saying that orientals evolved from orangutans. So here's baboon, and that blacks evolved from baboons. So here you have chimps. All right, so that here we have uh, Caucasians from chimps. And then finally, uh, Jewish people evolved from this ape here. Can you believe that's what they were teaching at one point in time? Talk about being racist. Well, there are effects. Co ideas have consequences. So, what, 116 years ago now, the Bronx Zoo placed this person, Odabinga, in an exhibit along with the chimp here as an evolutionary exhibit. And prior to that, he had been put on display at the World's Fair in St. Louis. Imagine that. Think what would happen if someone tried that today. Well, there is this other consequence of evolutionary thinking, this phrase, survival of the fittest. So this evolutionary process, certain people considered other people inferior. So the ones who self-appointed themselves to be superior would then make their generalizations about those who they stated were inferior groups of people. And so these people were less human because they were less evolved than the ones who considered themselves superior. So that the thinking was that over time these weaker groups would die out. After all, it's survival of the fittest, so the weaker ones should die out. However, because they were subhuman, there was no harm in helping the process of evolution. It's giving it a little boost. So, in Australia, which was, you would think, would be thought of as a Christian nation, the aboriginal population underwent, uh, not total, but pretty considerable genocide. So you can see that the, say the average was between these two numbers of 500,000, and reduced in some, what, 23 years, to only 31,000. This is a screenshot from the movie Quigley Down Under with a Tom Selleck. I don't know if you ever saw it, but I recommend you see this movie. Uh, the character Quigley was an American who was hired to go down to Australia for his marksmanship with a rifle. And it wasn't to shoot pigeons. It's a great story, great movie. Well, in uh, the southwestern part of Africa, what we today called Namibia, at that time, uh, in the early part of the 1900s, was actually a German colony, German Southwest Africa. 
And they had two different sets of laws, one set of laws for the whites and a different set of laws for the blacks. And you can guess who had the harsher set of laws. And there are two people groups among the others, in particular the Nama and the Herero, and Nama is how they got the name for the country, Namibia, who had the fortitude to stand up against these laws and to rebel against their German masters. And so in response to the rebellion, <coughs> the, the men were either shot outright or they were put in train, ch uh, chains and in concentration camps. This is in the first decade of the 1900s. Okay, we think of World War II in concentration camps, but this predates that by 40 years. You can see these people were not treated well. And then others were simply driven out into the desert where there was no water. So they would die from dehydration. Well, this didn't just happen in Europe or Australia. We had some of our own issues here, not as severe, but we had our business of segregation with you know, separate uh, drinking fountains or uh, blacks having to sit up in the balcony in the movie theaters or ride in the back of the bus, that type of stuff. So racism is certainly an issue uh, widespread. Well, what about these, quote, racial differences? So I uh, assembled these various uh, basketball players here to show wide range of the amount of pigment in the skin. So this would be one of the things that people use to judge, quote, a race. So here you see black, brown, yellow, red, and white, as people would call these members of these uh, people groups. And then we have green. <laughs> well, it is, October is approaching, right? In the end of October, we have people who will do more of this kind of stuff. What about eye color? So one of the joys I had as being an emergency physician was, have, was examining eyes for people who came in with complaints about their eyes and using a special device with magnification that I could see extreme detail in the uh, architecture of the eyes, especially the iris here. And it's amazing to see the, the beauty in the iris. Uh, you can see there's a wide range of different colors and the details of the architecture of the eye, uh, just beautiful. Uh, so different people groups will have different uh, predominance of eye color. Well, not only about the color, but the shape as well. Because um, folks uh, who have Oriental ancestry will have what people would consider to be more narrow or maybe slit-like eyes, but that's because they have the genes that causes more fat to be uh, deposited underneath the upper eyelid, pushing it down. And that's why uh, they have that appearance there. And then hair color, of course, is uh, uh, different groups. For example, the Greeks only have, have uh, black hair. Why? Because they killed off the blondes. That was considered not right. And so they eliminated those genes from their population. Other, other folks, uh, especially the Irish, will have a greater predominance of uh, red hair and freckles. 
uh, it's a different type of pigment, pheomelanin, instead of eumelanin, which is the darker pigment here. And then we have these people today who do these kinds of things. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you see them around, and it's like, okay, uh, I guess we really want to call attention to ourselves. And these so-called racial differences, then, whether the hair is totally straight, whether it's very kinky or curly in between. So these are all various uh, combinations that the genes allow for. And then height. Some people groups have greater height than others. Uh, when uh, Patty and I were in uh, Kenya, uh, at a photographic safari, after we had done some time working in a mission hospital in uh, Zambia, we were among the um, Maasai people, and I felt short. <laughs> it's like, hello up there. Oh, the guys were so tall, it was unreal. I'll tell you, the NBA would love to scoop them up. Uh, so there are, the, there are these differences in, in height in different people groups uh, as well. But what does science say? Okay, these are all superficial appearances, but what is, what is, what's real here? Well, uh, these are a couple numbers I think are very important to keep in mind. I, I tell my students, you know, there's so many things that are numbers. Most of them you can just look them up, but there's a few numbers that are really important to know, actually remember, and that, here's a couple of those. One is when we look at the, the total amount of uh, genetic material in, in people, there's about two-tenths of a percent difference between any two people on the planet, no matter where you pick them from out of all of the amount of genetic material you have, it's only about two-tenths of one percent difference in the, in the uh, genes, in the genetic material. In the so-called, so-called racial characteristics, it's only twelve thousandths of a percent. Twelve thousandths of a percent for the so-called racial characteristics. So you can see this is an incredibly tiny amount of difference, and it pales in comparison to the 0.2% between any two people on the planet. So there is no biological basis for race. Race is a social construct. It is not a biological thing. Okay, it's not genetic, it's not biological, it's not race. There's, we're, we're all people. Well, just to give you an idea of how some of this works in terms of inheritance, melanin, this is the pigment uh, that is responsible for some of us being able to get a better tan than others. Uh, I certainly lost out on that one. And also the color in our hair. And there's two types, eumelanin, which means true melanin, and the, the root melanin, mela, means black. And that's what we use uh, to get a tan. And then pheomelanin, this is the, the reddish end of the color spectrum there. And it's actually uh, a defect. It's, it's a defect in not being able to make eumelanin. So here are the layers in the skin cells. And you see that bottom brown layer, that's the, the basal layer. That's, that's where the cells exist that make the pigment, that the pigment is, th is then 
um, shunted upward towards the upper layers to give protection. We need this pigment to protect against the ultraviolet radiation from the sun. And that's very important uh, because protect us against uh, skin cancer. So here you see then uh, the looking from a less magnification, you're looking at the deeper layers as well as the upper layers of skin, and then you see that pigment there as to protect us. So here we have two individuals. Uh, the one on the on the left is one of my students. Uh, who is actually from Africa. Uh, he's one of my best students in organic chemistry right now. And you can see he has lots of pigment, whereas this, this fellow here has what's the, the phao melanin and the, the freckles and the red hair. So this is the difference uh, that is there uh, with the phao melanin versus the eumelanin. Well, if you think back to history, the people with the darkest skin were the people who lived along the equator, the equatorial regions. Why? Because they needed better protection from the intense sun. Uh, so uh, protect against skin cancer. Whereas you think of people uh, who are from the far north, like the Irish or the Swedes, much less pigmentation. Why? Because they needed more exposure to the ultraviolet because there was so much less up at those high latitudes because we need some ultraviolet radiation to make vitamin D. We make our own vitamin D when the ultraviolet light strikes the capillaries in our skin, and that's the first step in the five-step process of making vitamin D. And we need the vitamin D to absorb calcium and to be able to have good, strong bones and not get diseases like rickets. So that's how genetically these differences became geographically spread, uh, was because of the different environmental exposures. And this was not due to uh, this response to the light is not due to mutation. It's due to tracking of the environment, continual environmental tracking, and then the information to do what needs to be done is already in the DNA, so that the people have what they need in the various locations. So this is a simplified version to just give you an idea of, of how that, so the symbol here at the top represents the male, the symbol on the side, the female. And so there's the combination of genes, you know, half from, from the sperm from dad, half from the egg from mom. And then you can get the shuffling of genes, you get these various combinations from the same pair, same couple, so that you can have anywhere from very dark to very light. And in, uh, in the country of India and in the uh, West Indies, the islands in the Caribbean, uh, the very same pair of parents, if they have the full complement of, of genes in each of them, they can end up with, in the same family, the siblings have a range from very dark to very light, and it happens. It's the, how the genes shuffle. So it would be for the very dark, and here would be for the very light, like so, and whatever in between. So this is not a business of race. It's a business of genetics and, and shuffling of genes, because we're all one race.
So how did these people groups come about? Well, here we, we end up going to Acts chapter 17, specifically verse 26. So I'll give you the full verse here. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. Okay, so we're all from one blood. We are all totally related, only one race. And then a bit of the history will be resulting from and has determined their pre-appointed times in the boundaries of their dwellings. Then verse 27, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him, search for him, and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Well, when we go to Corinthians, we have the affirmation of the history given to us in Genesis. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Christ, became a life-giving spirit. And then Mark 10:6, Christ is speaking and affirming, uh, going back to Genesis. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. From the beginning of the creation, no evolution, not from some pre-existing animal. Because here in Genesis 2:17, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, directly from the elements, not from some animal and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So that's how Adam, the male, was formed, and then for Eve, then the rib or the side which the Lord had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. So zero reference to evolution because it didn't happen. It was all supernatural creation by God. And I most of the time try to remember to say not just God but the God of the Bible to know who we're really talking about because so many people have other concepts of who God was. And so it's, I think it's important to say the God of the Bible. <clears throat> and so people say, well, okay, well, all right, so Cain killed Abel, but where did Cain get his wife? And here's the answer right here in Genesis 5.4. After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years, and he had sons and daughters. So um, Cain married either his sister or niece. And you go, ooh. Well, in those days, there was no genetic reason not to. The mutations had not yet been accumulating in the DNA, and so genetically it was safe to marry your very closest relative. It was okay. But after time, in other words, when um, later on in Leviticus, by then the mutations were starting to accumulate, and God said, no more close marriages. So the origin of people groups. So here you see this illustration with uh, Noah and his family coming off the ark uh, after the flood, chapter 9 of Genesis. Then chapter 10 of Genesis lists the, the various nations 
In other words, the descendants, 70 different uh, families who came from the three sons that came off the ark and their wives. And then we get to chapter 11. It's now 106 years after the flood. And we're about to encounter again where people are so disobedient to God, he does another supernatural intervention. So now the whole earth had one language and one speech. So this means one tongue of one lip. In other words, one set of sounds, one set of words. And since everybody who was on the ark was still alive at this time, it, you could safe to assume it's the same language that was spoken prior to the flood, which would be the original language which God gave Adam, which uh, I'm thinking was an ancient form of Hebrew. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make us a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Well, this is in direct disobedience to the command God gave them to be fruitful, multiply, spread out, and fill the earth. Not stay collected in this one region and build a city and, and build a city what? So they can make a name for themselves. In other words, put themselves in God's place. And then the Lord said, indeed, the people are one and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Then in verse 9, therefore its name is called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the, all the earth. So then God by family groups gave them different languages supernaturally so that they couldn't understand each other and it, when you can't understand the other person you get frustrated and you push yourself away, you separate. And so that's how he stopped the construction of the tower and force people finally to spread out and migrate. So now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. So again, everybody through Noah is related. Everybody. And so this map shows uh, red for Japheth, the uh, yellow for Shem, and the green for Ham. Uh, is the initial placement of these descendants of the three sons of Noah. As I mentioned in chapter 10, this table of nations, the 70 nations from these three sons. Uh, as it's all there in, in the chapter, uh, the whole listing of these 70 groups. So that's the origin of people groups by the judgment at Babel, forcing people to spread out and migrate and become separated geographically. And so some of these people carried some of the genes. So some of them had genes for the darker complexion or, you know, different hair and other people had other genes. And some had genes for the fat pads and so on. So that's how we got these different appearances, but all from the same race, the same blood. So what about this business of slavery? 
If I have despised the cause of my male or female servant when they complained against me, what then shall I do when God rises up? When he punishes, how shall I answer him? Did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one fashion us in the womb? So what this is saying is here, see in those days, for someone to be a slave was not like what it became later on in the 17, 1800s. Uh, people would voluntarily put themselves into the position of being a servant or slave for uh, either a debt that they owed or for safety to work themselves out of a situation. It wasn't like what it became when, when people began to be treated like cattle. And then uh, in England, uh, William Wilberforce was the driving, sustained force to abolish slavery throughout the uh, British Empire. And uh, in addition to recommending the movie uh, Quigley Down Under, I uh, recommend the movie Amazing Grace. It's, it's the story of, of how Wilberforce persevered through tremendous opposition to get the Parliament to pass the legislation to abolish slavery in the British Empire. It's a great movie, Amazing Grace. So what is interracial marriage? What is real biblical interracial marriage? Well, I'm the result of interracial marriage and of the way the world looks at it. So these are my ancestors from these. So I'm actually a 16th Cherokee. Okay, so I'm, I'm typical mixed up American. All right. So we have all these different things. And then my wife is half Irish and half Italian. So our kids are a real mess that way. A real good mixture. But that's not what interracial marriage is in terms of the Bible. In terms of the Bible, it's a believer marrying a non-believer. So here you see the three choices, Christian plus Christian, non-Christian and non-Christian, or non-Christian and Christian. And so it, the answer is interracial marriage would be non-Christian with Christian. It's got nothing to do with physical characteristics. So we do have these cross-cultural problems. There are many cultural differences among people, groups, and many of them are to be celebrated and enjoyed, especially the different kinds of food, right? So what is culture? You know, we use the term a culture dish in biology where you use a, a shallow plate that has nutrients in it in order to be able to grow different types of bacteria. And the different types of bacteria need different characteristics of those nutrients in order to grow them. So, you know, you can think of culture as something like that. It's, you know, where you are incubated. And so it can refer to language, but even then in the same language, we have problems of uh, understanding each other sometimes. Uh, you know, like the differences between British English and American English. There's some that are pretty funny. Uh, um, for example, uh, you want to be careful uh, 
with a nappy because in England that means a diaper. So you don't want to mess with a dirty nappy. <laughs> All right. And so there are other things that, that we could go through that are funny. Um, so the words can acquire different meanings. Uh, different thought process as well because of the culture. You, you see the same term, but it means a different thing because of the different culture. And therefore, different expectations arise and relationships with extended families are different in different cultures as well. But none of these have anything to do with genetics or with supposed race. They are cultural issues. So in conclusion, there is no, and this is the quiz, What's fill in the blank. No biblical justification that people from different people groups should not marry. The biblical basis for marriage makes it clear that a Christian should marry only a Christian. When something ideas are imposed, prejudices are perpetuated. Non-biblical ideas are imposed. Prejudices are perpetuated. And that's what evolution did. The church should teach biblical truth. Remember, there's a lot of churches out there that don't, and you are very blessed to have a pastor who sticks to the straight gospel, the straight scripture. So many churches have pastors that are compromised. It's really sad. And then we wonder why the church at large is so impotent today. We should look at each other also in regard to marriage as God looks at us in 1 Samuel 16:7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So it's that heart attitude that's the key issue. So race is a social construct that was, for a time, made respectable, justifiable by evolutionary thinking, has no biblical basis at all whatsoever. God cares what's in our heart, not what we look like. And we should be the same way. All right. Pastor? Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. 
if you contact us, we will send you a new Believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.